Oh, like, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot kind of this. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 1004 of Lockdown Raptors for Friday, August the 13th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always, at WoodleySean, and you can find the show at Locked on Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, please make sure to check out the entirety of the Locked On Podcast Network, where we have team-focused shows covering all of your favorite teams in the Big Four Sports and the NCAA Power Conferences. Please go and support and check them out and subscribe, rate, review, follow on all your favorite podcast platforms. Also, just a reminder that this podcast will also soon be available on YouTube. You can now go and subscribe to the Locked On Raptors YouTube page. It is on my pinned tweet on my Twitter profile. Go there and uh, subscribe. Very much uh, appreciate you doing that because on Monday, we got a big guest to start off the YouTube era of the podcast. It is Leonard Hamilton, the head coach of the Florida State Seminoles, who coached Scotty Barnes this past year. Had a great chat with him. That's already been recorded at this point. Uh, and Leonard's great. It was a lovely chat. We got to know about Scotty Barnes, the dude, and, and get a bit of detail as to how his season unfolded down in Florida State. So that's on Monday. Go subscribe to the YouTube page. The podcast will still be up on all the other podcast platforms in audio form. But if you want to see my pretty face, you can always go to the YouTube to watch it. All right. On today's show, going to start off the top with just some thoughts on the third Raptors Summer League game before we finish up Kyle Lowry week here on the podcast. Katie Heindel joins me once again as we talk about Lowry's final two seasons with the team, mostly focusing on the 2019-20 season, which is my favorite Kyle Lowry season of all the very, very wonderful Kyle Lowry seasons in Toronto. A little bit on the final year as well and sort of what was lost and the sort of bummer of it all, but also some of the nice moments and the fact that we all kind of savored it and very much recognized that it could be it. It was a nice chat. So that's coming up in second in segments two and three. But first, yeah, let's get some thoughts in on the Summer League game. Last night as the Raptors take down the Houston Rockets 92-76 down in Vegas to move to two and one in the tournament. Just kind of, I'll run around some of the main guys here. So Scotty Barnes, obviously, is the one we'll talk about off the top. He's the most important guy to be watching here at Summer League. Bit of a stop and start game for him because he picked up an ankle thing in the second quarter after kind of sitting, I think, like the last six minutes of the first quarter. Weird minutes distribution in the first quarter for the team overall. Barnes comes out, uh, and then he comes out very quickly after, uh, I believe, making a really, really nice transition pass. Yeah, he made a really beautiful transition pass to Ish Wainwright, who we'll talk about in a sec. Uh, and then right after that, he got taken out with the ankle thing, comes back just before halftime, and it wasn't like a crazy offensive performance from him or anything, just eight points on two of seven shooting. He got to the line four times, uh, but the big thing in this one is he had five blocks, and he really, really is looking like he's going to be an absolute terror on the defensive end. I think with Scotty Barnes, the thing is going to be sort of adjusting your expectations and 
not really expecting him to be a finished product right away, not in year one, not in year two. This is a long play that the Raptors are making with Barnes. And the offense can look a little bit hairy at times. You know, there are a little bit of there's a little bit of indecision when he has the ball. Kind of notably, when he's got the ball and there isn't a passing outlet nearby, he's so good at finding those passing outlets. But there were a couple instances where he was kind of alone on a break with just one defender in front of him. He kind of panicked a little bit, and you know, I think he picked up a charge at one point. He threw a ball away at one point. You know, he just kind of, you know, doesn't really have that innate sort of I'm going to go get this bucket type of instinct at the moment. I think that will come. He seems to be very fiery and intense, and he's getting to the line a lot, which is great. I think it'll come. But yeah, the sort of decision-making when the decision is to try and score is not really there just yet. But that's okay, because on defense, he's an absolute monster and is going to, I think, be a day-one contributor. It's going to be impossible for him not to be with the length and strength that he has. He's going to guard literally one through five, I would expect, and he's going to pick up a lot of numbers in the process, the five blocks, a couple of them really impressive. There might not be a, a play in that game more sort of telling of what this season might be for Barnes than he's on a fast break. He has a, an opportunity for a layup. He misses the layup with one defender just kind of near him. It was kind of uncontested. Misses that and then goes back the other end and charges the other way to you know block a shot right off the backboard, basically into the hands of awaiting Malachi Flynn, who then buries a catch and shoot, or not a catch and shoot three, a pull up three in transition. And that is going to be the Scotty Barnes experience. He might give it away a little bit on offense at times, but on defense, he's going to give it back and the instincts are very much there. So uh, yeah, that was sort of the takeaway from Barnes in this one. Not his best game, but the defense remains uh, really, really, really tantalizing. Another guy that we should probably talk about is Precious Achua. Played his second game with the team. And man, am I getting a little excited about Precious Achua. It's, you know, there's a lot to like here. He is athletic as hell and has way more of a handle than I ever expected. You know, I seem to, you know, recall him being more sort of paint bound and never really touching the ball when he was with the Heat. And maybe that's, you know, partly by design. And I can't imagine he's going to be asked to run a ton of possessions for the Raptors or anything like that. But he just has this very sort of fluid movement about him when he has the ball. And, you know, it's a little bit hit and miss as to what he does after he kind of dribbles into the paint and Euro steps a defender. Sometimes he'll clank it. Sometimes he'll have a nice finish. But the fact that he's able to drive into the paint and Euro step defenders at his size is uh, really, really impressive. He had 19 points in the game, five boards, a couple blocks and a couple steals on eight of 11 shooting. And he hit two threes as well. He was two of three from downtown. I would caution to, you know, look at that as like, oh, maybe he's a stretch five or something like that. Maybe they can make him one at some point. He's still like 20 years old. So it's probably not fair to sort of pencil him in to be a stretch five right away. And they do kind of feel like summer league threes to me, honestly, like, oh, he tested out there, but there's never really utility for them in game. And the fact that he's not a good free throw shooter kind of gives me a little bit of pause as to whether or not he's going to have the stroke to be a good three point shooter. You know, I I fear it might be sort of one of those Jonas Valanciunas situations where it's like, oh, look at the percentages. Look how much he look, look at what he's doing. He's a stretch five when it's like, okay, he's taking half a three a game and is not really actually tangibly spacing the floor when he's out there. I think that might be more the case, at least early on here with Precious, but the fact that he's taking them is nice, and the fact that he seems to have some like legitimate ball skills and soft hands around the rim, 
pretty encouraging, man. I, I am fully on board with backup center Precious Achua this season. I think it's totally worth just giving him those minutes to see what can happen. You have Ken Birch, who's more of the sort of sturdy, stable option, and you're going to have a lot of opportunity to play super small and you know play Scotty Barnes at the 5, OG, Pascal, whoever it is. But Precious playing backup center, I think you can get away with, and I think there's going to be a lot of interesting stuff there. He also provides something the Raptors have not had in a very long time, which is like a vertical threat and a good dunker. I've been yearning for a good dunker on the Raptors for a while, ever since DeMar DeRozan left, before him, Terrence Ross. Norm was kind of the last really good dunker on the team. Uh, You know, OG can get up very loudly, but doesn't often. Precious really does seem like he might be like the next great dunker on the Raptors, and I love it. Uh, I think he needs to work on pick and roll chemistry with Malachi Flynn, especially if they're going to be playing together on the bench quite a bit. I have a feeling him and Fred Van Vliet will find some chemistry. Fred got a lot better the last couple seasons of connecting with his bigs as opposed to kind of working on separate planes of existence from his bigs. And I think you're going to have a vertical threat there in Achua, which they have not really had recently. And, you know, he just seems like a dude the Raptors are really going to like. I am very much in on Precious Achua. I'm starting the Precious Achua bandwagon, the Achua Chua train or something like that. There we go. Um, he's, he's really fun. And... While I don't really buy the three-point shooting as of yet, the rest of the stuff is very, very nice. And the touch around the basket, the fluidity with which he handles the ball in space is really nice. You know, he kind of gets bogged down a little bit and will get it poked away and, and dug down on when he's in traffic. But he adds to the complement of players who are just going to be able to take the ball and run and, you know, not have to really worry about who's walking the ball up the floor. And I'm really intrigued by lineups where you're going to have, like, Fred plus... OG, Barnes, Siakam, and Achua, and how switchable that's going to be, and how long that's going to be. Do they swap in another guy to be the nominal point guard instead of Fred? I don't know. Like maybe they just go full on six foot nine guys and and roll lineups that way. But I think Achua is going to be part of those lineups, and it's very very exciting to me. A couple other guys to hit on here. Delano Banton is bizarre and weird and silly, and I love him. Uh, just an absolute quirk of a player he you know only at four of 11 in this game oh of three from deep the three-point shooting is going to be the limiting factor with him it seems but the vision is there the playmaking is really nice he's got this sort of weird slither to his game where he's not blowing by guys or anything like that but he's got these like super long crossovers he works in that are just kind of so large spatially that it gets him into space and he's got a pretty good one-footed jump too it looks like so he can kind of burst up to the rim even though he's not you know, the fastest guy in the world. I think he's like a weird, quirky, bizarro player, and I can't wait to watch him more in the 905, where I would expect he's going to spend a lot of time this year. He also lined up as a big, mostly on defense, which is interesting. You know, he plays guard nominally, but he's so long and disruptive that I think, you know, just kind of sticking him down and to have him be like a help side defender down on the baseline is not the worst idea in the world. He had a couple nice blocks, uh, or one nice block that is a really great chase down, and then Really contested and disrupted a couple shots in the paint as well, just by being six foot nine. So count me in on the Delano Banton fan train. Uh, he's he's awesome. He's a delight, and he's going to make nine five games extremely fun this year. Um, I, I guess the other guy we can talk about is Ish Wainwright, who played twenty nine minutes, twenty points, seven boards, two assists, four steals, and two blocks. Really impressive game. Hit four of six on threes as well. Uh, he of course had the very emotional answer to Will Lou's question last night in the press conference about what it means to him to have kind of made his way back to the states after having to go play over in Europe for four years. Um, you know the toll it took on sort of him and his family and why he does what he does. It's for his kids. It was really beautiful. Go find Will's tweet if you can. Um, you, I'm rooting for Ish Wayne right now. I got to tell you that. Uh, you know to be 
the thing with him is he just seems like an adult out there and it's maybe more pronounced in summer league because it's a lot of young guys kind of getting their first taste of pro ball and he spent four years playing in Europe but he really does seem like real role player material you know he knows where to stand he's a good cutter you know one of Banton's assists last night was a really beautiful pass to a cutting Wainwright underneath the basket Um, you know if he can hit the threes that's going to be huge right like he has been kind of up and down in his European career. You know, he'll have a 32%, then a 40%, then a 29%, then a 38% kind of back and forth in his seasons over there. If he can be like a 37% three-point shooter or even a little bit better, you're talking about a really nice role player who looks like he can defend. He's big. He is uh, just, you know, built like a... I mean, he used to play football. He's built like a football player. He's enormous and you know, kind of fits exactly into what the Raptors want to do in terms of positionless basketball, I think. I don't think he's going to handle the ball or anything like that, but can probably slot between the two, three, and four. And if you have him and Yuta Watanabe as, you know, sort of back of the rotation bench hands, you could do a lot worse. There's a lot of basketball IQ wrapped up in there. There's a lot of just kind of experience and wizened, like, uh, understanding of basketball in the form of Wainwright as well. Maybe it's just that he looks like the oldest player in the NBA despite being like 26, but, um, you know, he, he really does strike me as like a nice role player to add to the team, uh, you know, even if it's going to be in a limited role, I'm rooting for him to make that roster at a camp. Um, you know, he'll be probably in competition with like Sam Decker and Isak Bonga, who the Raptors just signed, uh, but, you know, the game that he had last night really does sort of suggest, okay, this is a guy who's going to have a real shot of winning a job in camp, and the way he spoke after the game suggests he's uh, going to really, really, really try hard to get there um one of those spots that wainwright might occupy on the roster could come at the expense of freddie gillespie at this point uh, another really rough game for gillespie four personal fouls in uh, 12 minutes uh, no points he's just kind of looking lost out there you don't like to see it obviously because gillespie seems like a lovely guy and he's easy to root for but he's not looking terribly impressive right now and I'm not sure you know he's kind of jumpy on defense he's making some mistakes there the offensive utility is where it really kind of stands out though right like he's not a pick and roll target he's not a post-up threat he's not shooting for you there's just not a lot of ways that Freddie Gillespie can score if it's not getting a putback and it just feels like maybe there's better uses for that roster spot at this point again this is just summer league but you know he's not impressing what other guys are and Achua playing the way he has is like I think he's certainly vaulted himself well ahead of Gillespie if he wasn't already just kind of the incumbent coming in um but those are my thoughts on summer league last night um Nope, very in on Precious. It's basically the key takeaway here. Uh, we'll continue on here, and we'll get to the conversation I had with Katie Heindel about the last two seasons of Kyle Lowry's time with the Toronto Raptors. A somber time, but some really, really great highs built in there, especially in 2019-20. We'll get to those in a second. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at Sweatblock, who are a new sponsor with the podcast, who bring with them the dry shirt guarantee. If they don't keep you dry, you get your money back, which is a pretty awesome deal from Sweatblock. If you don't know what Sweatblock is, basically, they're a company that is helping dudes like me not be sweaty all the time. This is not just dudes either. It's for everybody who has excessive sweating, and their antiperspirant wipes are fantastic for helping to keep you dry Sweatblock is stronger and more effective than most clinical antiperspirants. And trust me, I've tried them all. You simply apply it at night before bedtime and go to bed. The next morning, you wake up, wash, and go about your day without worrying about sweat. Guaranteed. You're probably thinking, as I am, I know this is too good to be true. This can't possibly be true. I've tried every solution for my excessive sweating, but Sweatblock is going to live by that dry shirt guarantee. 
Only once or twice a week, you got to use it and you are going to be great. No pitting out, no more picking it, your shirts based on the color, which I freaking hate. I really hate it. I want to wear orange. I want to wear green. I can't because, uh, you know, the pits become very, very noticeable. And I do a lot of on-air stuff. We got YouTube coming now. I can't be having pits on YouTube, baby. It's Sweatblock's time to shine. If you or someone you love is dealing with this, you have to check out Sweatblock. Get it for get it today for 20% off at sweatblock.com with the promo code Locked On, or you can also get it at Amazon and CVS. But why would you not get that promo code Locked On and get 20% off your first order at sweatblock.com? Today's show is also brought to you by our pals over at betonline.ag, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at BetOnline. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for your sporting needs, including baseball, of course, but NBA futures, NHL futures, UFC, and MMA, whatever is going on, you can bet on it over at BetOnline before the next pitch. Head to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great signing sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest info. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the promo code Locked On, all one word, at betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. All right, let's get back to it. Myself and Katie Heindel finishing off Kyle Lowry week with a look at his time with the, with the Raptors in his final two seasons, 2019-20 and the hell season, 2020-21, down in Tampa. Take it away, Sean and Katie. All right, joining me now once again on the podcast is one of our favorites. It's Katie Heindel as we're going to finish off Kyle Lowry week here on the podcast and uh, finish our reflection on his nine years with the team. We've gone through the early years. We've gone through the peak years. We've gone through the years of adaptation and winning a title. And now we get to the final two years of Kyle's career, Katie. We're probably going to spend more time on one of these seasons than the other because it is maybe my favorite of all the Kyle Lowry seasons. But we got 2019-20 and then 2020-21 to talk about. 2019-20, though, Katie, let's spend a good chunk of time here. Uh, Kyle is kind of thrust back atop the power rankings of players on the Raptors. Uh, of course, we see uh, Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green leave in the offseason. They come in with a chip on their shoulder. They are not really picked to do all that much. I think a couple people are predicting them to miss the playoffs, which I think was truly patently insane at the time. Uh, and they come out and are awesome once again as Kyle Lowry kind of regains most of his old form outside of some shooting percentage stuff where he shoots the 35% from three as opposed to 40. Basically the same player he was during 15, 16, and then 16, 17, his two peak seasons, just doing everything for the team, more playmaking than in those seasons, a little bit less scoring, but kind of more all-encompassing impact across the floor, making other guys better. What are your overall memories of the title defense season for Kyle Lowry, Katie? There's so much in this one. It is so loaded with Kyle moments. Where do you want to begin? Um, yeah, this season ruled. I'm still so disappointed they didn't. If Kawhi stayed, they would have gone back to back. <laughs> I think very easily, yes. They also <laughs> like, might have won another. Like They might have won three years in a row. Yeah. I don't care. I'll just say it. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think that's season, fair. Yeah, this season was so much fun because it's like no one told them they weren't supposed to be really good anymore. Yeah. And really competitive. I mean, they didn't need to be told. I think they already knew it. And I also think a lot of it had to do with trying to just like having that chip back on their shoulder again, mm -hmm. which is like, it was a nice throwback because of being like, you know what? I'll, like, we're just going to ignore the kind of bullshit that everybody is saying about us. 
mm-hmm. that we're now all of a sudden automatically relegated because Kawhi is gone and we're not worth talking about. We're not even worth like, you know, being in the conversation, the larger conversation. And they just kind of put their heads down and got back to playing Raptors basketball, which was ended up being like until COVID happened. <laughs> like some of it was like the most exciting season I think I can remember. Yeah. Like obviously the title run will always be yes, like yes. the peak of watching the Raptors, <laughs> but the regular season, like the 1920 regular season, infinitely more satisfying and enjoyable than the very stressful will he won't he is the team gonna gel in time mm-hmm. 18 19 season. This is just Kyle realizing there's nothing left to prove while also wanting to prove something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that sort of weird dichotomy. And then the team just sort of being very liberated, it seemed, after winning the, the title. And everyone who were, was kind of stuck with those old demons from previous playoff failures, all that was gone. It was just like, all right, let's just go let it rip. Pascal's an all NBA player. Fred Van Vliet levels up and is a, a more sort of regular piece. I think he starts this season, if I'm not mistaken, like he, it was like a question as to who was going to be in the starting five. And then they end up just rolling with Fred and Kyle with OG Pascal Gasol as the starting five, which is a very lovely fun lineup. And then, you know, they, they, Kyle gets hurt early on. That's sort of the big thing. They start off. Well, Kyle gets hurt in new Orleans. And then there's this sort of fear that I remember having because he had not yet signed his extension. Uh, going into the, at this time, if I recall, there was a sort of, are they going to trade him before he, the deadline comes around? And, and, you know, that if they lose enough games, will he become a trade piece? And, and I thought that was a terrible idea. I wanted him to, wanted them to actually run it back and see if they could fully sort of recapture the magic. And I, until he signed that extension, when I can't remember exactly when that came down, but until he signed that extension, there was always that, you know, concern that if, he was going to miss time or the team was just not going to be as good. There could be that deadline departure, which would have been ghoulish and terrible and awful. But you know, that was a thing. I mean, it was a thing that they might trade him after Kawhi left. I don't think they ever were going to, but it was certainly a topic of conversation on like basketball internet. And it never made sense to me either. And I think everyone's glad they didn't tear the team down because they were fucking awesome. They were so good. They went 15 games in a row at one point, but the 15 game winning streak comes after I think, one of the more impressive Lowry stretches, which is late December, Pascal gets hurt. And I think Gasol gets hurt as well in the same game. Norm is hurt too. They're they're missing like three or four guys from a rotation that was like maybe seven or eight deep. And Lowry from the middle of this. So I think Detroit on the 18th is when they first suffer some injuries. And then they play Washington, Dallas two games later, where he, of course, leads the 30-point comeback with 14 minutes to go, playing with the third stringers. He has a massive game in Indiana the next night, like a back-to-back where he goes for 30-9 and and almost drags the team to a win there. He has a huge game in Boston where they win by 16, and he goes for 30. That stretch, Katie, where he around Christmas, and that was, yeah, that was the Christmas game revenge win after they got pasted on Christmas Day. That sort of two or three week stretch from mid late December into mid January before they get their guys back and really go on a run, even though they didn't win every game, the fact that they won like half their games in this time was basically entirely because of Kyle Lowry. They were rolling out some whack ass teams during this stretch and they were still unstoppable basically because Kyle was Kyle. Do you, what are your recollections of that stretch for Kyle? I mean, that period was. It's, it seemed bad because I think it seemed like, well, one, everyone was getting hurt and that's never good. But two, I think <laughs> it also seemed like, oh no, it's going to kill this momentum that yeah. everybody had had going into the season. But what actually came out of that was 
these crazy Frankenstein monster lineups that like <laughs> was just cobbling together and that every, everyone played their hearts out, you know, like, I don't think anyone that was asked to kind of fill in rotationally ever seemed out of step. They never seemed like they weren't um, like really equipped to just like get in and I don't know, play excruciatingly well. Like we got the comeback. We got the like historic comeback game against yep. Dallas. Uh, in that time period um and i think it was pretty cool for kyle probably i mean not cool to not have like some of the guys that he loves playing with i'm sure be hurt and his teammates be hurt but mm-hmm. for him to be like the centerpiece and some of those really psychotic lineups you know yeah and to just like because he is someone who's just like his brain his like basketball brain always needs to be busy you know and like there was probably not a time it was as busy <laughs> as in that yeah. stretch yeah. um but yeah, I remember every time thinking like they can't pull this out. They would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna pull up the game against Boston that they won three days after Christmas. Uh, they win by 16. The starting lineup in this game is Lowry, Van Vliet, Ibaka, Ananobi, and Patrick McCaw. Mm-hmm. Off the bench, you get Redacted playing 22 minutes. Rondé, Chris Boucher, O'Shea Brissett plays 15 minutes. <laughs> like getting real deep down here into who they're digging into. And it gets even more intense later on as more guys kind of bow out from attrition. But yeah, that little stretch there kind of kept them afloat to the point that they could really talk themselves into being real contenders when everything was healthy. And, you know, it's such a shame that things get cut short by the goddamn virus. You know, Lowry is central to the 15 game winning streak. They go on, they get the slam cover, like they are the talk of the NBA at this point. They even close out before the shutdown. They close out with what is it here? Nine out of 10 wins in their last 10 games. And it's just, they look like a buzzsaw. They're beating really good teams. They're, they're just cruising. And then everything stops and you don't. Oh, sorry. I was reading the game. The game log for this year is bizarre because it goes from March to August uh, very quickly and abruptly. Yes. But they won four straight before the the shutdown, uh, and then they came out and won seven of eight in the bubble before going into the regular season because they were incredible. And Lowry, I remember the first game of the bubble coming out with thirty three and fourteen with uh, mm-hmm. with six assists against the Lakers. Like just way too many signature moments in this season to even count. It, it was that good of a year for him start to finish. And then the bubble comes around and you get the playoff series against the Celtics, which I think if you're picking individual playoff series, is this the best one he ever plays for the team? Uh, I don't know. No, this series was, <laughs> I don't think, I think like all encompassing answer. No, he played mm-hmm. phenomenally because I think there was like, if they were going to, if they were going to win again, you know, like the bubble did represent their best chance to do it. Yeah. Um, he, I mean, that pass, like there was a lot of like insane moments in those, in that playoff series. Yeah. Um, Games three and six are just all timers. Yes. But no, I would say for me, I don't think so, but it was a kind of a fruition of, this seems dramatic, but like, I guess his like his career, you know, because that would be that's like the last playoff series he would play for Toronto. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, maybe maybe you can quibble with was it the best series he's ever played? He was really good for most of that Miami series a couple years ago. He was obviously very good 
in the conference finals and the finals in terms of like individual games though, Mm -hmm. I think games three and six are probably the two best individual playoff games he ever played for the team. Game Mm -hmm. six, game three, you've got the pass, of course, over Taco Fall at the end. Uh, He goes for 31 on 13 of 23. He has eight assists as well. And then game six might be his masterpiece for his career where they're facing elimination. They're down three, two, and he plays 50 four minutes in the overtime good double overtime game has 33 eight and six six of ten from three and is just everywhere on the floor in that one i mean like taking charges forcing turnovers just doing all the kyle shit just like uh an all-time not just an all-time kyle lowry playoff performance but like in terms of just like overall impact like that's any star would be happy to have that be one of their best playoff games, you know, like it was that good. And mm-hmm. they don't win those two games. Like they get swept without Kyle Lowry in that series. I feel pretty convinced of that. The, the, the way that Pascal was playing, the way Gasol was looking a little bit long in the tooth, like if not for Kyle and I guess surge a lot of the time in that series, they're, they're, they're cooked before they even have a chance at a game seven. So mm-hmm. that's that season. Any other sort of thoughts about the title defense here? I mean, it's just such a, a perfect individual player season. It's my favorite Larry season. We talked yesterday. Wolfon's favorite was 15-16, and that's a very good number two. Um, does this go down as your favorite Kyle season? The beginning half. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that, like, that Boston series just seemed particularly cruel because the mm-hmm. Celtics were far and away the worst possible matchup the Raptors could have drawn. You know, they were just, they were made, they were a team made for the Raptors to be the Raptors that season. It felt like, you know, Um, everybody, not everybody, but a few people not playing well, obviously didn't help. But even then, like, they just, they, they had it and the Raptors didn't at that point. Um, What's my favorite? Yeah, probably the beginning, probably the beginning of that season, because it felt like momentum building again. And it felt like a secret. You know, I remember yeah. like being at those games and it felt like everybody was in on something that no sure. one was really paying attention to. I mean, I guess I, it's so funny because for so long we're like, we don't want to be the underdogs, you know, like we don't, don't call Toronto <laughs> that. But then I was really relishing it that season, yeah. like being back in that position again. You know, um, please disrespect us, please. <laughs> Toronto just, this Toronto team, yeah, which is crazy to call it that now, but we have to talk about it in the past. Um, always relished being like taking that role mm-hmm. on again, you know? And I think mm-hmm. there was maybe some familiarity uh, in taking it on like pretty ironically this season after you just won the title. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I think that season I'll just remember pretty fondly for Lowry's leadership too, especially when yeah. they got to the bubble and like in real uncertain times and just like, scary also times i think we don't give them enough yeah. for that um him stepping up and being a leader for his guys i think this yeah season absolutely maybe split it in two ways right like how me lo- me loving Ka- what Ka- kyle was doing on the floor and then yeah. in the latter half in the bubble me loving what he seemed to be doing off of it yeah that's well put um we can leave that season behind for now and we will get into the 
last season he plays with the team, which is a little bit less happy feeling, of course. Uh, but there's still lots in there to get into uh, in just one second here. But first, I want to tell everybody about our friends over at Built Bar who are making the best t- tasting protein bars you can buy. They're really, really good. They have multiple flavors, including cherry barcia, mint brownie, cookies and cream. You can get uh, one flavor if you want, or you can go ahead and order a mixed box and get two, get two of each of their nine staple flavors, and you can decide which one you like the best. They are not just great tasting, but they're healthy for you as well. 17 to 18 grams of protein, calories ranging from 130 to 180, only four to five grams of sugar and four to five grams of net, carb, net, net carbs. And this is not in the copy, but I just wanted to shout out Built Bar. They are paying the tuition of the 36 walk-on football players for the BYU football team uh, as part of a new NIL deal, which is awesome. Uh, shouts to Built Bar for paying tuition to players. That rocks. Go to Built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your order. That is the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, Katie. Let's move into the final season Kyle plays with the team, 2020-21, the one that just ended. Probably not one we're going to remember a whole lot, honestly. Kyle was still very good, does not make an all-star team, uh, which is kind of a bummer, but the Raptors were not exactly racking up wins, and so I suppose you can kind of explain it away. Um, You know, not what anybody wanted. COVID season, Tampa season, they suffer through injury and missing players for COVID. And just at the time they're starting to figure things out, things all fall apart kind of without them having any control over it. But, you know, Larry plays 46 games still. He gets into a lot of games. He of course has the trade deadline, you know, tango. Is he going to stay? Is he going to go? He has the long sort of thoughtful final, not so final press conference with the Toronto media after the uh, game against the Nuggets on the 24th of March, where they beat the tar out of the Nuggets, and it seems like maybe the kind of perfect send-off. Um, what are your recollections? What will you be thinking about this season from Kyle, you know, three, five, ten years down the road, Katie, if anything? Oops, I was muted. <laughs> this season, okay? this is tough. Uh it was tough to watch him at such like a physical, you know, and almost like mental distance, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do feel like it's maybe it's total nostalgia, but it sucks that his last season as a Toronto Raptor was not in Toronto, but mm-hmm. maybe in a weird way, it's fitting also for someone who just like, no, never mind, It's not fitting. Um, <laughs> so like that kind of sucked. I think it was a, like a continuation of what we were just talking about, like his leadership in the bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's probably a lot to be said of the fact that like these guys went from the bubble into essentially another bubble, but in Larry's case specifically, still shouldering the burden um, of being a leader and like being there for these guys mm-hmm. in a time and a place where like he was just as much probably like what is going on, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, just like a total and complete maturation, I think. Um, he played well when he could. This like this season was just such a. I wonder if we're gonna get better at talking about it the farther away we get from it. You know? <laughs> like maybe it seems too close to to have any like positive insight or takeaways. Sure. But the whole thing really just seems like a blur. Yeah, I think you know I really don't have a ton of takeaways from this season one though is that i'm very glad kyle was there as they went through it because 
I think not having that guy there to sort of, you know, take the shoulder of Malachi Flynn and then sort of walk him through some struggles or to sort of just be there to help steady the room in a time where there was a lot of sort of upheaval, both, you know, moving to Florida and everything that went along with that with COVID, you know, people missing time to, you know, Pascal Siakam, maybe not being on the best terms with the team and the, and the coach in particular, just because of more than anything, probably frustration. I'm very thankful that Kyle was there. And I think I will always be totally fine with their decision to not trade him at the deadline, because I think the value of having him around the group during that time is immeasurable. And, you know, you'll never see it on a stat page or anything like that, but I do think there's tangible value there. And I'm just, I'm just glad he was there. I'm also really glad we got that final game against the Lakers and it would have been nice to have seen him and known that was going to be his final game with the team. But there's also something really cool about, you know, you didn't really know this was his final game, but there's always the possibility he was going to rest the rest of the season. So you tried to enjoy it as much as you possibly could in the moment. It seemed like every game that was the sort of nice bonus of this year was every time Kyle played, it could have been the last he would with a team. And so you did kind of soak it in a little bit more when he had those big games and for him to go for 37 and 11, uh, while Pascal, mind you, goes for 39, uh, <laughs> a really fun game against the Lakers. Um, you know, that to me is going to be one of the sort of prevailing game. Like if ever I'm going to rewatch a game from this season, it's going to be that Lakers game and nothing else, because what the hell else is there to watch from this past season? Just a complete write off. But <laughs> the parts that were saved were saved because of Kyle Lowry, as you would probably expect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That feels Any, uh, no. <laughs> yeah. So we can leave it there. Um, Katie, thank you so much for taking the time. Of course, uh, love chatting about Kyle Lowry with you. I'm sure we will at some point down the line chat about Kyle Lowry again, but this is probably gonna be the last time for a little bit that we do, which makes me sad because some of our best conversations have been about Kyle Lowry. Um, anything you want to promote before we get out of here? No, just Kyle. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Go read Kyle. Well, he's posting on Instagram today as we record. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Posting, working out with the heat, which makes me want to cry. Anyway, oh, no. uh, <laughs> thank you to everyone who's listened all week for Kyle Larry week. We've had a lot of fun here talking about Kyle and digging in to his wonderful, wonderful tenure with your Toronto Raptors. Uh, we'll continue on next week as we scale down to three episodes a week as we move into the offseason here. Finally, for the first time in over a year, we're going to three a week. I uh, hope you understand why I'm scaling it down. Uh, it's been a lot of content, but the content will still be very good. So stay tuned. Monday, of course, YouTube launches and Leonard Hamilton, head coach of Florida State, and of course, the coach of Scotty Barnes this past season is going to join the show. And we are going to have a great chat about Scotty Barnes. And I can't wait for that one on Monday on YouTube, and of course, on all your favorite podcast providers. Until then, have a wonderful weekend. Uh, Stay safe out there, and we'll talk to you Monday with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Bye-bye.